All right, here we go on a Sunday morning. First Sunday morning in May in Las Vegas, 2022. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live Sunday every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the now golfing Vegas Golden Knights. We're coming to you from the Wisden in Las Vegas because for over the two years now, the pandemic is still keeping us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is our social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, that's right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. Joining uh, us back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows, for Lotus Broadcasting is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network. You can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all the home financing options available in the state of Nevada. This is What's on Tap. And as you just heard somewhat sarcastically in the open, the Vegas Golden Knights played their final game of the season this past Friday night and will not be participating in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in their five-year existence. David Shane, the man that covers the VGK beat for the Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Review-Journal, will be joining the show shortly for Nightcap to break down the season and to talk about the Golden Knights' future, near future. Also joining the show today, once again, is former NFL quarterback Jay Schrader. Had some technical difficulties last week. Uh, Jay covered the 2022 NFL draft here in Las Vegas. And Jay will also give us his thoughts on one of his former team's new uh one of his former team's new name and uh a, a significant franchise record yesterday was broken in major league baseball the basketball playoffs head to round two and we'll have updates on the las vegas aviators and the las vegas aces uh they start their season today preseason game we'll talk about that as well that is what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own choose a company you can trust Residential Bank Corp. Funding America. One neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 details on all of your home financing options in the state of Nevada. We'll get right into things in a second here. Just want to see Spencer. How you doing, man? I'm you having always- a whiz-tastic Sunday because you always make fun of me for saying that it's another day in paradise. It's a whiz-tastic Sunday. Oh, I'm look at go that. With Everything's that. whiz here. The whiz den. Uh, we've got his whiz themed music and back in studio, of course, Chris Magnum Chapman. I know we'll have some something to add with uh, David and I on uh, Nightcap. Spence, go ahead and jump right on it, man. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. And that will do it. The 82-game regular season comes to an end as the Vegas Golden Knights 
beat the Blues 7-4. That was a good way to end the season. The red-hot St. Louis Blues, who are participating in the playoffs again. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights beat them. They score a lot of goals. They needed a lot of those goals in a few other games before that. But um, a good way to end the season, as you saw Logan Thompson skating off, definitely one of the uh, best surprises of the season for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, getting Jack Eichel back and healthy wasn't a surprise. It was something that was necessary. It happened. And even though Jack tailed off at the end of the season, he's going to be an unbelievable contributor for the Vegas Golden Knights for years to come. Joining the show now is Las Vegas Review Journal reporter who covers the beat for the Vegas Golden Knights, David Shane on the line with us right now. Um, David, I don't think the ending to the season that a lot of us expected, especially at the beginning of the season. No, no, not at all. I mean, especially at the start of the season when you looked at, you know, this team on paper and the expectations and you go down to the local sports books and you look at the odds and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think everybody, you know, based on the last couple of years, you know, making that final four and, you know, everything that they had done to, you know, assemble another super team and bringing Jack Eichel and all that. Yeah, I think, you know, this was – this wasn't a playoffs or bus team. This was a Stanley Cup or bus team. And so to not even have a chance at that, definitely a surprise to me. I think definitely a surprise to uh, everybody in the organization as well. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and, and something that is not a surprise is sooner or later in professional sports, you're going to get hit by the injury bug. Every team in every sport experiences that at some point in time. The Vegas Golden Knights, David, had never experienced missing so many man minutes as they missed this year due to injury and significant injuries to players like Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty. They lost Shea Theodore for a little while in the season. You know, uh, Alec Martinez for a significant portion of the season. Braden McNabb, the list goes on and on. Riley Smith. Uh, you can't overstate how important the injury factor is during a season in professional sports, the golden Knights experienced it big time this time. And last week, David had Dan Duva on the show and he pointed out that no team has ever made the playoffs. And that, that streak continues with missing over 500 man minutes or whatever. I forget the statistics exactly way he presented it uh, in, in national, in the national hockey league before. So the Vegas golden Knights, had they found a way to get in, we had four games left and we did the show last Sunday would have been the first team to do so. You can't overstate the importance of that, but then again, professional sports is about plug and play, right? Yeah, and I mean, you look at the lineups that they were putting out at the end of the season, and okay, granted, Mark Stone was kind of a shell of himself, but he was out there. Max Pacioretty was out there. Like, Martinez, you know, by the end of the season, they were putting out far from what I would call like a preseason lineup, the, which is what they were doing at, at certain points, you know. I mean, nothing against like Zach Hayes, but when you have to go that deep into your organization for defensemen, you know, that just tells you sort of the state of emergency that they were in, I think, this season. But, you know, let's also talk about some of the positives with that, too, because I think the flip side is you got to see, you know, a guy like Jake LeCision. You got to see a guy like Jonas Rombierg. You know, you, you got to, as a fan, maybe develop a little faith that if these guys, you know, are plugged into the lineup, say, next year based on, like, cost-cutting moves or whatever it might be, you know, that they can play, that they had, you know, they showed some some promise. So uh, as much as the injuries hit them, and it, I think, you know, it was like 39 guys, you know, that ended up playing this year, franchise record. 
you know, there, there's some positives in terms of just, you know, maybe some development that, that maybe happened a little bit sooner that if you're a fan, if you're somebody in the front office, you hope, you know, pays off down the road. Oh, no question. I think I think the optimism, especially those of us that understand the game, is really big. You look at this team on paper when healthy, uh, they match up against anybody in the National Hockey League. I don't think anybody can argue about that. Eichel, one of the top, if not in the top five players in the league, is working his way there. Just a tremendous young talent. Um, you know, and, and you see that all over the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, a lot of really uh, – Guy stepped up. Howden this this year. Uh, you, you saw what his ability was. Uh, he'll be back next year after you know suffering a pretty a pretty significant injury during the course of the season. But you know overall, um, you know the positives. The, the best positive to me again. You talked about young guys. We could see Logan Thompson. I mean, his story just getting to the National Hockey League is pretty cool. And then to see what he did this year with the opportunity that was given to him, he may, he proved that he's an NHL goaltender, maybe a starting NHL goaltender on a number of teams. I mean, a guy is going to get an opportunity. So that was a good thing. On the flip side, Robin Leonard, the heir apparent to the, the legendary Marc-Andre Fleury, the face of this franchise, the first four seasons, David, uh, came in. Um, I think a lot of us were optimistic. I don't think I'm I, – I, I haven't – turn my back on Robin Leonard. I think he's still going to be a quality goaltender of the NHL. I think he played through injuries. Obviously, we now know about the shoulder that's going to be surgically repaired during the offseason. But, David, I still think a lot more was expected, and I think it is so difficult to replace a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury. No one wants that task. It's very dubious, but somebody had to do it, uh, and Robin Leonard was the guy what do you see as the future of Robin Leonard with the Vegas Golden Knights going forward? I think it's hard to say at this point until we really hear from Robin Leonard. And I mean, I don't know if that'll be locker clean out day. I don't know if that will be, you know, once he decides to sit down in his keyboard and type something out on Twitter. Um, but clearly Robin Leonard will have his say about all of this. And I think from that, we'll be able to sort of read the situation a little bit better. The, the hard part, what, what I don't know, and, you know, obviously making some phone calls and trying to be a reporter through all of this is like, have they passed the point of no return? It, it feels like they did. It feels like there was sort of a, a line in the sand that was drawn and, and everybody, you know, at least one side almost feels like it, it seems based on what's coming out, you know, that Leonard didn't like the criticism that he got. He felt like he kind of got bus rolled that everybody knew you know, inside the organization, he was injured, but that Pete DeBoer is still putting him out there, uh, criticizing his play, basically saying Andrew Hammond outplayed him, you know, in that New Jersey loss. Like, I can see how if you're Robin Leonard and you want the support of the organization and they're not doing that publicly, they're, they're basically setting you up to fail. I could see if he was just like, I'm done with you. You know, I don't know if he is. I don't know. I, 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 Unfortunately, right now, I just don't know the situation right now because everybody is being so silent. I wasn't on that last road trip. Um, so it, it's a little bit hard for me to figure uh, in, in terms of that. But I, I just that's going to be probably the, you know, in terms of the personnel, I think the biggest question of the offseason, you know, is what do they do with that? And does Robin Leonard come back? Is all forgiven? You know, are there other moves that happen to, you know, appease him or, 
you know, were there other issues and other things going on that, that maybe we don't know about that factor into all this that, you know, are going to, you know, make them make a different decision on this? Yeah, it, it really is going to be interesting. And and right now at this point, it's mere conjecture on all of our behalf talking about Robin Leonard because we really don't know. There were some signs, you know, like even within the locker room, you know, with Dan Duva, I talked last year, he got a little upset when I, you know, I had mentioned the fact that Jonathan March so mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury's name. Now, I understand it wasn't in context or in any way slamming uh, Robin Leonard, but just to bring up his name when you know the world is watching is kind of a little bit alarming. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I wish Marc-Andre Fleury all the luck in the world. I'm putting on a Minnesota Wild jersey. I don't own one. Maybe I'll buy one for the postseason. I'd love to see uh, Marc-Andre Fleury have success again in the playoffs. I think everyone would here. But those kind of things, you kind of scratch your head a little bit. and You wonder, where does everyone's allegiances lie? We don't know that. It definitely seemed like Pete DeBoer did not want to give Robin Leonard any leeway as far as the injury went. He felt he should be out there. He did not feel that he overused him or overplayed him. If anything, based on his comments, it seemed like he felt Robin Leonard was a disappointment. And that's the the error he was gaining. I know I don't know if Pete DeBoer was trying to use him as a scapegoat for what happened uh, during the season, especially down the stretch. But, you know, that's what it appeared to, uh, you know, appeared to me. And if it appeared that way to me, I'm sure the layman out there, it appeared similar to them. But that aside, you know, also looking and talking about Pete DeBoer, Kelly McCrimmon right now, how short is the leash do you think on those guys going into next season do you think there's some forgiveness on bill foley and upper management based on the fact that there was so many significant injuries this year or do you think that there was more expected even with what the way things played out and the leash is going to be short starting next season i mean again this is just a guess and because nobody's answering my phone calls and people are just not you know are not really talking yet i don't have a good feel for it in that regard but I will say that I expected to to some extent heads to roll. I just don't expect this organization based on its brief history to, you know, just take missing the playoffs and say, oh, okay, we're going to run it back. Like in no point have they ever done that. It's always been about change. And as soon as you feel like things are getting stale and they're getting away from the identity and what worked, and they've made changes whether it's coaches whether it's players you know or anything along the way so i'm expecting changes i don't think you can just come back with this group that fell short that clearly at the end and and you know what i want to actually say something too because when you were talking about like dan duva and whatever and i'm going to say that and this is very condescending i i understand this but like Max Pacioretty was the one that brought up chemistry. Like there's a whole pushback, you know, the way that, you know, the team was pushing back and, you know, answering some questions and all of this. And I, I'm sure Dan did too about, you know, the chemistry in the locker room and, and disharmony and all of that. Like it's not a media creation. That was something that Max Pacioretty said on his own, uh, basically unsolicited. He wasn't even asked about it. So when a player brings it up on his own in the same way that you were just you know, talking about what, you know, Marcheseau did, I, I believe, in, in terms of just, you know, kind of on his own, bringing up Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, that's what Max Pacioretty did on his own in terms of the chemistry. So if there were issues behind the scenes, if there were things that were going on, it, it felt like this team was not all pulling, you know, on the, the rope in the same direction, I guess, to, to butcher the hockey cliche. And, and so if that was the case, 
then I don't think you can just bring everybody back and say, well, you know, if they were hurt and last year and, and they're healthy this year, everything should work out. Clearly, I think there's more under the surface going on that that we just haven't really heard about. And, and I don't think you can just go through an offseason and not address all that. Yeah, David, very well said, and I appreciate you being so candid about this, the subject because it is a little bit of a touchy subject. We know the fans out there are so behind this team. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have been, uh, I mean, I, I can't see a breath of fresh air, but what they what they have done is they have proven that Las Vegas is a spot for professional sports, and the way they came in, again, I can't ever emphasize October 1st of 2017, how much it meant shortly thereafter that run the Vegas Golden had, Knights had in their inaugural season changed this entire community the culture of las vegas it was incredible i'll never forget it i feel so blessed to be a part of watching that happen but that's the whole thing this team is geared was designed and built to win right now they have made significant changes to make that happen incredible acquisitions mark stone max patch most recently eichel who i you know as people have seen this guy is as talented as almost anybody in the national hockey league and he's a part of this franchise they are built to win right now bill foley does not want to rate this is not a team that is rebuilding or building for the future they are already built they are constructed to win right now the injuries were significant and i do believe and i've said this over and over again that they have to be taken into consideration by bill foley by upper management however you can't use that as an excuse because that is a natural part and progression of professional sports and again every professional sports plug and play is the main thing you've got to find a way to win you look back to the to the season when tom brady went down and the patriots didn't make the playoffs but they still won 11 games with matt castle who couldn't find his way to being as a quarterback on any other team that's plug and play that's the way you make things happen on a team when somebody goes down that's significant you find ways to still win games and the golden knights were unable to do that and especially down the stretch when they did get the bulk of the people they had lost back and you know those games although close you can't lose and you can't put it on logan thompson's shoulders in back-to-back shutouts in must-win games the team has got to put the puck in the net and then all of a sudden against st louis they have a seven a seven goal explosion uh not acceptable and i agree with you david i think we are going to see some significant changes exactly what and what they will be and when they will happen well that we're going to find that out very very soon a day we are we do have david shane joining us on the fox sports residential Bancorp studio line today david shane of course covers the beat of the vegas golden knights for the las vegas review journal amongst many other things david the playoffs are now on they start tomorrow kind of weird that they're even playing that final game today um up in winnipeg between the kraken and the jets i guess it's for revenue you got to compete your complete your 82 game season but tomorrow the playoffs start some tremendous matchups this year and some big time questions as good as the avalanche have played all year some significant injuries towards the end of the year and really kind of entering the playoffs on a downward spiral i said i don't know how anybody beats this team in a seven game series but with Scott maybe not being at his best how good is this avalanche team and do you still think even though we saw a bit of a drop off at the end of the season that this team is capable of winning the whole thing I think they're capable of winning the whole thing. They're a little bit of a prove-it team to me, though. I haven't seen it from them yet in terms of, you know, the playoff grit and sort of what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, that that full two-month everybody buy-in commitment 
you know, to playing the type of hockey it's going to take to win, whatever it takes, ugly, pretty, dirt, you know, a lot of their play, you know, in the regular season, it's pretty, it looks great. We see the Kale McCarr, you know, goals flying in from the point and backhanding over Marc-Andre Fleury's shoulder and all this cool stuff. But like, you know, we don't see that a lot in the playoffs. That's not the way the game is played. And I know it sounds cliche and somebody can find the math and say it all oh, doesn't change, you know, but like it does. The mentality changes. And so I think for me, what'll be interesting, especially if they if they match up against Minnesota, that is that is a team built on we're gonna be big and hard and heavy to play against, and we're gonna beat you up in a seven game series. And, and that's gonna be a tough task for Colorado to get past. And if they do, probably you've got Calgary waiting. And Calgary coached by Daryl Sutter, I think, and we've heard it all year about, you know, just how he understands playoff hockey and playoff mindset and getting his team into that mode and what it takes and the the little details and the little things that happen and how you win three, two games and two, one games and being comfortable in those types of games. I, I, I haven't seen any coach other, you know, other than maybe like John Cooper, who's won the last couple of years, but Daryl Sutter and just the way that he emanates confidence in a close game in a tie game of just, that's where we want to be. This is how it is. And this is how we play. And, and so I think that's another, that's going to be another big speed bump for Colorado. I'm not a big believer in Darcy Kemper. I, I do think their, their goaltending, unless the team is playing well in front of him can be a question mark in a, in a long, in a, in a tough series. So I make them the favorite, but I don't think I would be putting money on them, so to speak. I think I could probably find some value in that in that conference other places. And if they prove me wrong, great. But I just want to see see it from them. I, I'd rather have seen them almost like get to a final and lose, and, and maybe then I would believe in them a little bit more. But haven't even made it past the second round yet. No, really good point. Um, I thought the acquisition of Darcy Kemper was a big pickup. Uh, you know, Arizona basically gave away the face of the franchise to a division rival, which made no sense. But, but um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that could get hot in the in the playoffs. And you know, as you know, you've got to have goaltending in the postseason. Uh, there's no other sport where the last line of defense is more important than it is in the National Hockey League. We have literally seen goaltenders, a la Jonathan Quick, take a franchise from the eight hole to the Stanley Cup championship because a goaltender can carry an entire team on his shoulders when they're seeing beach balls. So who's going to be that guy this year? Well, there's a few people that it could be. Um, it could be Vagileski again. I mean, for God's sakes, don't overlook the lightning. That should be – I am so looking forward. That's probably my favorite first-round matchup, David, to see Austin Matthews, maybe the most prolific goal scorer we've seen in a little while. He is just an incredible, incredible hockey player. Um, and to see them go up against the lightning, who right now – to me, again, become one of the scariest teams in the National Hockey League. It is at this time, the last two seasons, we have seen this team just turn up the gas. And they're primed to do it again. Yeah, they know how to flip the switch probably better than anybody. And I'm not a big believer in the the flip the switch ability and philosophy. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of know how to, to coast during the regular season and save themselves and, you know, get their game just fine-tuned enough and, play some games at the end, you know, they say, okay, this is a game we're going to, we're going to, we're going to turn it up. We're going to see what we got. And, and you look at the end of the regular season, those are usually the games, you know, that they come out ahead, you know, when they're actually like putting in a full 60 and, 
and really kind of trying to maximize it and, and see what they got. So I, the one thing with Toronto with me, I, I want to be a believer in them based on a regular season. I want to be a believer that they have made the changes, that they understand the mentality that Sheldon Keith, this coach, you know, has, has instilled a system that, that they've bought into and, and will work a little bit better in the playoffs. I just don't know if they'll get the goaltending, you know, like it could all go to, you know, just because they're not getting enough saves because guys aren't healthy or, you know, their game's just not where it was early on. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, like in, in a weird way, I feel like Toronto could make a crazy long run and I would not be surprised if they get bounced in the first round and everybody's, you know, flipping their lid, you know, in Toronto again, nothing, nothing would surprise me with them. Yeah, you know that's that's the that's the standard again. Another team that really needs to uh, show everybody in the postseason that they can make a run. We all know how good Austin Matthews is, but again, you're right; they've got to show it in the net. And the one team, David, and last team I'll talk about, and then I'm going to get your prediction on on what you think is going to happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs and who you think is going to wear the crown at the end of the season. But one team, you know, it's funny when I talk to most people, nobody talks about the Carolina Hurricanes, yet they come into the Stanley Cup playoffs, the hottest team in the National Hockey League, six straight wins. I think they're eight and two in their last 10 games, but this is a team that is really, really good. And, uh, you know, they might just be naive enough to, 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 to go ahead and win the Stanley Cup finals. And I, I, I'm, I, for one, wouldn't be surprised if they did find a way to win, run the table and win this thing. Okay, so I am going to admit that I've been so engrossed in the Golden Knights that I haven't been following what's been happening with Frederick Anderson and his health. But I'll say if he's healthy, if they've got him in net, then yeah, I think they're probably my favorite, to be quite honest, in the East. I think everybody's so focused on Florida and the offense and Tampa and kind of all that, that, that I feel like Carolina, if you can fly under the radar winning the division and doing everything that they did, it feels like they are a little bit. It feels like people like me who are still thinking about the goaltending health and all that, you know, are, are maybe overlooking them in that regard. Uh, it, they've been sort of building to this. They, they've been sort of knocking on the door. They, they've been a team, you know, that, that Rod Brindamore has sort of shaped in his own image, you know, and, and they've gotten, you know, deeper into the playoffs. Like we were talking about, you know, uh, you know, a couple of teams earlier, like Colorado or whatever, like Carolina, it feels like they've gotten, they've been around a little bit. They've gotten a little deeper. They've been knocking on the door a little bit more. It almost feels like this was their year. And if, if Anderson's there, if he's healthy, you know, if they get some goaltending, I, I don't know. I, I like their path. I, I think if nothing else, I just, I mean, they got Boston and then probably like what the Rangers and, and Pittsburgh, like, the, the Rangers would scare me because of Shesterkin and the goaltending and, and potential. But, like, I don't know. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty good path to the conference final if you're Carolina, you know. And then at that point, you're just, you know, not really, like, rolling the dice, but anything can kind of happen, And you know, when you get two of the best teams at that point. I agree with you. And, you know, the Bruins are a good test for them in the first round. And I think yeah. they're going to beat the Bruins in, in five games. That's my prediction. And I think that's going to give them confidence going forward. I like the Carolina Hurricanes a lot coming out of the Eastern Conference. All right, David, before we let you go, give me your prediction on the fi the Stanley Cup finals and who you think is going to win it all. <laughs> all right. So just because I talked about them, why not? You know, I haven't really actually like done a bracket, but I'm sitting here thinking about it. 
let's let's go Carolina and Calgary. I don't know. That seems like probably the NHL's worst nightmare for a series. <laughs> you know, like I don't think they want that. But yeah, let, let's go Carolina and uh, and Calgary. And I don't know why not. Let's go. Let's go Carolina. I, I like what Brendan Moore's done there. I could I could see a crazy thing. I I will say this. I think there's going to be. I don't think it's going to be chalk. I think there's going to be some upsets. I think there's going to be, you know, some teams that get deep that maybe we didn't expect. Um, I could see Minnesota going far. That's a team I think is a sleeper team. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll go Carolina and Calgary, but I don't feel good about it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you, you you stole my thunder right at the end there. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Wild, Mark Andre Fleury's yeah. current team, and I'm going to also go with uh, Carolina. That's why I brought them up. I am going to take Minnesota to win the Stanley Cup. I can't believe I'm saying it. And again, it's a bit of a homer pick for me. I'll be pulling for Mark Andre Fleury and for the Minnesota Wild. But again, I'm not going to be surprised at all if Carolina's skating around with the Cup when it's all said and done. He is David Shane. Uh, covers the the Vegas Golden Knights beat for the review journal, as well as many other things. David, as always, appreciate you joining the show. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, let's move right on, Spencer. Uh, we got, we got, um, all right, Jay Schrader's on the line. Let's jump right over to Jay. Uh, there he is. Probably better internet this week, Jay. It's good because you said some bad things about my golf game last week. So I'm glad the audience could, couldn't hear you. But uh, hey, glad to have you on again. And uh, hey, you just got done with the NFL draft. I know you were covering it. I saw the great view you had, probably as good as view of anybody on the entire strip for the draft. Tell me, how was that experience seeing the NFL draft for the first time in Las Vegas? Oh, it was amazing, Brian. It, I mean, the draft experience itself is great, uh, but to see Vegas do it, Vegas style, um, and it was spread out over a number of blocks. To see the Las Vegas strip shut down in front of the Bellagio and just all the people out there, uh, it was fantastic, and uh, I saw I saw people from every city being represented. So uh, they were here in droves. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I saw a lot of Lions jerseys, and that doesn't surprise me because for the Detroit Lions, the NFL draft is their Super Bowl every year. So, <laughs> you know, that that's about what it is. You look forward to seeing who they're going to get, and then you try to figure out what team – those top players will be playing for in a couple of years because the Lions find ways to trade away their best players every year. I'll get into that a little bit later on. But overall, uh, you know, the NFL draft, Jay, is so incredibly huge. You realize it. You see guys like Mel Kuyper and uh, Todd McShay who literally have carved out a career, a, a high-paying career, on an NFL draft, which is really a three-day event once a year. But that is how big the NFL draft has become. It really has these guys, you know, spend their entire year doing preparing for one night, you know, and that's the first round. And then after that, everybody reshuffles. So uh, they they have a three day, you know, just crazy fest and uh, trying to figure out where everybody's going to go. And, and the draft is not an exact science. We all know that. And I mean, if you look through history, more teams have missed on picks than they have uh, gotten them right. So, uh, but. The thing is, it's it's an exciting time for every team, as you said, because they feel like they get that guy. You know, they, everybody wants to get that guy that changes the franchise. Um, honest, I don't think that guy was in the draft this year. Uh, I think there was a bunch of really good players, but I don't think there's that guy that's going to change the franchise. 
Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I mean, it was kind of opened up. You had three tremendous edge rushers. They all went in the first five picks, which didn't surprise anybody. We'll talk about the draft in one minute. Before we get into that, we mentioned it last week, but we couldn't hear your thoughts. And, and you know, you heard my feelings on it for sure, the, the, the name changes that are going around in the league. And I, I don't want to be too politically incorrect because I like my seat here with Fox Sports, so I don't want to be dethroned. But in the same respect, you know, I um I understood why Washington changed their name initially. There's been a stink about it for the past couple of years. Um, a big stink made about it, I should say, the past couple of years. Regardless, even though you talked about the person that designed the logo for the the helmet of the initial old Washington Redskins was a Native American. But right. regardless of that, we accepted the change. And Jay, I really I don't know how, but I ended up embracing the Washington football team. I thought a little bit rebellious, but actually kind of cool and then they go to the commanders i understand they brought back the usfl maybe they should have made the washington commanders a usfl team and stuck with the washington football team again just my opinion what's your feeling on all this well i think everything you know this this whole situation uh, with the logos uh and the team names i think it's all blown way out of proportion um, from the guys that i talked to uh, that were in the tribe that were around it uh, they appreciated it because that's when they got talked about. And, you know, now what my opinion is we're, we're cutting the Native Americans completely out and we're trying to eliminate, you know, talking about them. So that's the unfortunate side. Uh, the Washington football team, it kind of grew on everybody because it was different. No, but, you know, you didn't know what to call them. You didn't, and now they're the commanders. I know it's it's all marketing. That's what it is. They're just trying to remarket it and rebrand everything. So. Uh, it is what it is. I know one thing. Uh, I still have a Super Bowl ring that says Washington Redskins, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I don't blame you. And I mean, why not just call them the Washington Presidents, for God's sakes? I mean, that's a, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you wanted some on Capitol Hill. <laughs> biggest controversies ever right there. I mean, seriously, but you know, I've always, I've just thought that the football stands for the toughest guys in our country, uh, the NFL. And that says you're tough. The Redskins, you know, it says you're tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Again, I'm going to leave it alone. I, I, I like the Cleveland guardians even less to me that, you know, I, I, the guardians, it sounds like a professional lacrosse team. I, I, I I just, I just don't get it. Security service. Yes, right. Exactly. We'll leave it alone. Let's move on and let's get back to the draft. Uh, Jay played for both the Washington uh, commanders now, but they were the Redskins at the time. And you played for the, uh, the, um, the Oakland Raiders. Uh, you know, now the Raiders, obviously in Las Vegas Raiders gave up their first couple round draft picks for Devonte Adams. We mentioned it and brought it up last week. To me, I think it was a great move. Devonte Adams, arguably top three receiver in the national football league. You give up whatever you can when you can get a guy with his skill set and his ability to help a guy like David Carr. When you lose a guy like Ruggs for obvious reasons last year, you got to replace that. And you, you replaced Ruggs with one of the top receivers in the game, having Darren Waller a top three tight end in the game. And last year we saw Hunter Renfro come into his home. They have made the Raiders receiving core one of the most formidable in the National Football League. So worth giving up a couple of draft picks. That being said, what do you think of the draft picks that they did make? They started with the 86 pick in the third round and they picked up an offensive guard saying, you know what, now that we've got weapons for Derek Carr, let's go out and try to help him. They tried last year with, uh, with Leatherwood didn't really pan out to be the guy they expected him to be. So they're going back to offensive linemen again this year. I think that's a good pick. I, I really do. I think it is a good pick. Uh, 
you know, they addressed some major needs in the offseason. They got Devontae Adams. They got Chandler Jones as an edge rusher. So uh, you've got two proven commodities there. So now you go out and you try to solidify the rest of it. And they, I think they filled some needs uh, and some gaps. They were looking at offensive linemen. They picked up a couple of running backs because we all know running backs are impossible to stay healthy uh, in today's game. And I think they did a great job. So it'll be interesting to see if it all meshes together. I think it will. And uh, it's going to be an exciting season for the Vegas. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Georgia's running back, Zamir White. I mean, the guy led the team. That's a national championship team last year in rushing 856 yard yards. Um, He he also had a, he he also had a decent amount of uh, yards on the ground, 11 touchdowns overall. Um, the, the guy is the I mean through the air. The guy is a good receiver, not really a two way back, more of a, just a, a straight up running back. But he'll get the job done, and he will complement Josh Jacobs, who already has proven to be one of the best running backs in the National Football League. So I do like what the Raiders uh, have done. I'm optimistic this year. Uh, Dave Ziegler, I you know what I like him a lot better than the former GM. No offense, but I do. And you know what, Josh McDaniels. Not a terrible choice whatsoever. I understand you wanted the interim guy. A lot of people liked what he did, and he did a tremendous job last year based on all the controversy, what happened with Gruden, what happened with Ruggs. But I think you needed a proven NFL coach to come in here. This guy's been in New England around the best uh, the best NFL head coach in the history of the game. And New England's defensive coordinators haven't had a lot of success, but their offensive coordinators have had a little more success. And this is a guy that was there for a long time. Yeah, and he's proven it over and over. And I'm excited because I think, uh, you know, we mentioned it last week a little bit. I think the offense is going to change a little bit. You know, under under Gruden, it was very good, but it was a lot of three wide receivers, one tight end. I think you're going to see multiple formations, multiple packages. Um, Josh has always done that in his career, come up with something different. And, you know, he's got some weapons to work with. So I think when, when he was in Denver, he was limited. Uh, you know, he, he certainly didn't have a quarterback that – you know, the caliber of Derek Carr there. So uh, I'm excited. I think they're going to have a great year, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Jay, I'm looking forward to it. I think everyone in Las Vegas is a team that made the playoffs last year and probably played uh, the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals as well as anybody did in the playoffs. And they proved they can play with anybody, and it's going to be real interesting to see. And as you mentioned, Chandler Jones on the other side of Max Crosby now. You've got edge rushers coming on either bookend, and that is going to make it tough. Perryman really came into his own last year as a linebacker, proved to be an unbelievable acquisition for for the Las Vegas Raiders last season season and they they're working on the secondary too you lost a good guy but you also picked one up and I think the last line of defense is going to be the biggest area of concern and if the secondary can hold down the fort with the edge rushers they have I think the sky's the limit for the Raiders this year and I think that they can compete in the AFC with just about anybody but we're going to see and I think that's what's expected from Mark Davis and from the Las Vegas community they want to see this team take the next step not just make the playoffs but win a game in the playoffs Jay before we let you go I, I I definitely wanted to mention uh, again the golf, the the ch- uh, charity golf outing that you are having. It is a uh, it is the Liberty Projects Golf Tournament. It's going to be June 10th. Um, it's at the Revere Golf Club in Henderson. 7 a.m. shotgun start. You can go to at the Liberty Golf Projects uh, to check out for more info. But Jay, talk a little bit about this. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to be playing. The other three guys playing with me might not be as excited as I am, but I I am looking forward to coming out there, seeing you. Always a good time to hang with you and a really cool event. It really is. You know, the Liberty Projects, uh, something near and dear. My partner uh, is an Army Ranger veteran, and um, 
we help we help rehab veterans by bringing in wild mustangs and teaching them and breaking wild mustangs. So uh, the combination is amazing. These big, beautiful horses uh, just love on these veterans. And, you know, our motto out there is give us one more day with all the suicides uh, with the veterans and with the horses. Uh, everybody knows the wild mustangs is a problem. So our motto is give us one more day. So we just fight every day uh, to keep going. And this is a way to we're a 501c3, so this is a great way for everybody to have have some fun playing golf and, you know, support a great cause. Yeah, it really is. And, Jay, tell people again how they can get involved. I'll tell you what, coming up on a show in May, you will have an opportunity to win a twosome to come play with me and a number of members of the broadcast crew, which is really yeah, cool. Winning. But if you Wait don't win the – Time out, Brian. Is that winning if they have to play with you? <laughs> hey, don't forget, I think I made like 240 foot plus. I shut my eyes on both of them, but Dang. they helped us because we did win the last outing we played in, but I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, Mike Prinny and uh, and Jay Schrader carried the squad, but, you know, hey, it was fun riding on their shoulders. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, but how can people get involved? What's the expense and, and, and the best way if they want to sign up and get a foursome right now? Uh, the best way to do it is you can go to vetsandhorses.com. Vets and horses spell out and.com or the libertyprojects.org. It's on the event sheet there. It's $150 per player, 600 for some. We have all kinds of sponsorships. So we'd love to have you come out and uh, support a great cause. I will tell you, I was out at uh, Revere yesterday playing in a tournament and uh, we won it. So it was kind of fun. It's a nice course, too. Beautiful, beautiful golf course. Beautiful day, June. It'll be a bit hot, but 7 o'clock tee-off time. You'll be fine out there. Plenty of beverages on the course to take care of you. And, of course, joined once again by former NFL quarterback Jay Schrader. Jay, always appreciate you, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll have you on again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. And again, that Jay Schrader, uh, he was part of the NFL draft. Spencer, uh, Chris, I'll bring you in now. I want to talk a little bit more NBA draft before we jump over to uh, talk about a record broken in Major League Baseball. It was a franchise record yesterday, but I think it's pretty significant. We'll talk about that in a bit. Spencer, uh, before I bring Chris on, I want to talk to you because, you know, I know you, you follow this draft like the back of your hand, uh, the Raiders. What do you think, I mean, for not getting a pick until, what was it, the 90th pick overall? Um Parham, not too bad, man. A guard out of Memphis. The guy's a big dude. He's played multiple positions um, on the offensive line for Memphis. And I think to get him that late, you really help out the offensive line. I still think they want Alex Leatherwood to turn into a player, uh, that, that you know, a better player than he was in the first year. He did start the majority of the season, but they were always looking for a way to replace him. He just didn't play well. What do you think of this pick at number 90? And then, of course, getting Zamir White, the running back out of Georgia, the 122nd pick I thought that might have been one of the steals of the draft yeah so there, there's a few things he is a center guard combo and they want to play him at center I think they brought in Nick Martin last year who was fine but obviously you want to end up replacing kind of those older guys those veterans you just pick up off the street I think Alex Leatherwood will play the right uh, tackle position uh, you know relatively speaking on the offensive line not the most important part and he played better as the season went on Definitely had that issue uh, with penalties last year, but he's a rookie too, and they put him in a pretty tough spot. I'm not going to lie. It's very hard to just jump into an offensive line. Yeah, but when you're drafted go. in the top 20 as a number one pick. He was never pick. supposed to be. Mike no, Mayock right. was the you're GM. Right. He was a second-round pick in reality, you're right. right? You're right. So uh, they could have switched their first-round and second-round pick last year if the safety was really good. But uh, like you talked about the running back, but I say more than anything about what it says, whether he's good or not, is that Josh Jacobs will not be in a Raiders uniform next year. They have a lot of running backs on the roster. They restructured Kenyon Drake's to keep him on the team. Uh, they also have, I forget his name, he's the third hes the third running back. He's a pass-catching guy. And they also brought in, like, Bolden, one guy from the Patriots. So the list goes on and on. Not and Peyton Barber. 
not Peyton Barber. Uh, he, he was hurt last year. I can't yeah. remember his name. I, I know you're talking about um, But anyways, uh, as the season went on, you know, they didn't pick up the fifth-year option for Cleveland Farrell, for Josh Jacobs, literally anybody that Mike Mayock ever touched. And that includes Josh Jacobs. Now, I think he's a really good running back, and I think he's going to have another good year. But I think as any GM has learned, like at least in the past few years, you don't draft a running back early and you don't pay them because it has hurt literally every single team outside of maybe the Titans. And I don't think anybody is nearly on the level of Derrick Henry. And that includes Josh Jacobs. I'm pretty happy with the draft. I mean, you just never know. Like it is pretty much a crapshoot. But I say the most, the most important pick definitely was that center guard combo. He's going to be playing a lot this year. No, I like I like him too. And don't sleep on, even though he wasn't Mr. Um, irrelevant, uh, Thayer Munford, who they picked up with their last pick, Spencer, in the, in the seventh round, the 236th pick. This guy was a second-team All-American at Ohio State. He played three different positions, mostly at guard, but I think they drafted him to try to be a tackle. And he may be a guy that is going to push uh, Leatherwood for a position, a starting position. And this guy, again, seventh rounder, but don't sleep on him take a take a look at this kid I think he's a guy that's going to make the team and add depth to an offensive line that's pretty shaky and hopefully will get better because they need to get better I think that and the and the secondary are two of the areas that are going to determine how well the Raiders do in 2022 if that last line of defense a secondary can play well and their offensive line can give give Derek Carr some time and open up some holes for the running game uh, this team is like I said can compete with almost anybody in the AFC so looking forward to seeing all that uh, as we come down the road. Uh, Mags, I'll bring you in now. Haven't talked to y'all show. Uh, we'll we'll get more with uh, Nightcap and, and Vegas Golden Knights next week. I'll have you talk more about your thoughts on the end there. I want to talk about the draft now because when I look at the draft, I look at the teams that had the most successful draft and probably the teams with the least successful draft. Your New York Jets, to me, had the second best draft, maybe the best draft, according to Todd McShay, it was the best draft of any team in the league. They had three first round picks. And I'll tell you what, Mags, I think they did a good job with those picks. You and I were texting a little bit yesterday. And I said, you said, who are they going to pick with the first round? You thought Gardner. I said they were taking sauce as well. Cincinnati was really good because they had a really good defense this year. And in no small part to the play of Ahmad Gardner, also known as Sauce. This guy is ridiculous, Chris. I think he was the best defensive back, definitely the best corner in the draft, and a great way to start for the Jets because defense wins championships. I think you've still got problems at quarterback. I'm not going to wave on that, but I really like what they did. I know, Garrett Wilson, you were concerned because Ohio State does not typically put out great wide receivers. I think Chris Carter might be the best ever at Ohio State, but I really like Garrett Wilson, arguably with the guy the Lions got. One of those two is the best receivers in this draft. I really like this guy. And I thought with Jermaine Johnson, the second, I thought to get him at the 26th pick out of Florida State, I don't know. There were some great edge rushers this year in the draft. But you know what? When it's all said and done, if Jermaine Johnson turns out to be the best one of all of them, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the funny thing is I I, I was a little worried and uh, not not sure that Gardner was going to follow them, and I think the Houston Texans did the Jets a massive favor by taking Derek Stingley, who I I wanted Gardner over him every day of the week. So thank you very much, Houston Texans, for taking the lesser of the two cornerbacks, proving once again why they are a terrible franchise. But um, yeah, the, the Garrett Wilson pick has me a little concerned. The Jets have traditionally not drafted good players from Ohio State. There's a laundry list. Of course, they did draft Nick Mangold uh, about, what, 15, 20 years ago, and he's a Hall of Fame center. So 
Um, you know, they, they, they did good there. But generally, Ohio State and the New York Jets are like oil and water. They just don't go well together. So hopefully Garrett Wilson is more in the mold of Nick Mangold in terms of being a productive player for the Jets as opposed to a Vernon Golston who will go down as one of the greatest busts in the history of the New York Jets. I don't even think that guy ever played a down. He was so bad. Um, you know, the, the, the funny thing about the Jets draft is they identified players that they wanted and they made moves to get them because you mentioned Jermaine Johnson. They traded back in to the first round to get him. Um, he fell, and I like that he plays with a chip on his shoulder. Um, and then they, they they traded up to get Brees Hall, who you and I got to see here, and Spencer as well. I think he was at that UNLV Ohio State or UNLV Iowa State game. Uh, Brees Hall, pretty productive day in that in that, in that game. Uh, he had two touchdowns and 100 yards on the ground. So what I like about Hall is he's good with his hands coming out of the backfield as well. It'll complement Michael Carter. The Jets will have two running backs who can catch the ball out of the, out of the backfield. The head-scratcher for me is Jeremy Ruckert, um, another Ohio State player. They had signed a couple of tight ends in free agency, so I'm not quite sure what the what the role is going to be for Ruckert unless maybe they felt that he was the best player there. And once you get into that position, the 101st pick, maybe you just go with the best player available as opposed to um, you know drafting for need. But Michael Clemens, their last pick, is a really interesting pick because he's a guy who, who's the ultimate boom or bust pick. Uh, he's had some off-the-field issues, some legal trouble, um, but he was really, really good at, uh, at Texas A&M. So he's been suspended a couple times, and you know, I guess he made comments that this isn't who I am. I'm, 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 I've learned from from my transgressions with the law, and, and it's all misdemeanor stuff. I mean, it's not like he's out there stealing laptops like some other guys have done in the past. Um, but, you know, some some possession stuff and uh, driving without a license type of thing. So uh, we'll, we'll see about him. Uh, I'll just say this about the Raiders, uh, and, I, and I know it's going to burn Spencer, but I think the fact that the Raiders did not tender offers to Josh Jacobs, uh, Clee Farrell, and uh, Jonathan Abram really shows how disastrous the fact that you have three first round picks and when they come up for their 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 uh tender year they don't offer any of them what a monumental waste that draft will go down to be for the Raiders and they're going to pay for it down the road in fact they may pay for it this year because you you when you draft guys in the first round you can't let them walk after their first contract because they're so bad I don't think Jacobs was all that bad. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Raiders maybe try to renegotiate a deal with him. But Cleve Farrell will go down as one of the worst draft picks in Raider history. And and Jonathan Abram, productive player, just couldn't stay healthy. So I, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what Spencer's take on that is. But I think the Raiders are going to pay the price for having an absolutely god-awful draft that year. Yeah, yeah I, I think it will go down. I think uh, Jamarcus Russell will be the all-time bust of the race. Yeah, he'll but that was cover. one pick. Always, this is well, three. But I'm just saying he'll always cover up for the other picks. But but real quickly, Chris, again, I thought Joe Douglas did kill it for you guys, and I think your Jets did a really good job with that pick. I agree. Well, with I'll, I'll say this. Robert Sala is the, uh, the head coach of the New York Jets, and his comments after were, you know what, the most important thing is that these guys produce because he said when he was with Seattle, he was an assistant coach, and there was a year where they drafted Bobby Wagner, Bruce Irvin, and Russell Wilson, and Kuyper and McShay gave them a D. 
they ended up winning the Super Bowl with that core of players. So um, we'll just have to see. The draft is always a crapshoot, and I don't take Kuyper and McShay's opinions on this for the paper that they write them down on. I need production, and to me, in two or three years, we'll know how good the Jets did, not based on the opinion of two guys who never played. No, I, I can't disagree with you. Like I said, I, I enjoyed the Jets, and that was, again, McShay's. I, my, my my number one team, I thought the Ravens had an unbelievable draft. I loved Kyle Hamilton. I, I thought that that was an exceptional first pick. And to get Tyler Linderbaum, where they got him, he's the best center in the draft. I, I thought, wow, way to use your first two picks to pick up two guys that are going to start and be significant right off the get-go. To have a center now in front of Lamar Jackson, look out for the Ravens. They look good. and 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 um. Ojabo also for Michigan, a linebacker. I think he's going to be a significant contributor almost right away. I think he is, uh, you know, he's a great pass rusher, and this guy is also can just make tackles. I really like the draft. The Lions draft, well, we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously, I was very happy about Aiden Hutchinson. I think that's the guy everybody wanted. And Jamison Williams, the wide receiver at Alabama, along with your guy for the Jets, I think was between the two of them as to who was one and two. So those two, those two went. I don't know that I love the Lions pick there, but um, I think they should have focused all on defense right now but you know what when you get a star wide receiver to go with uh, Amon St. Brown Brown I think is going to be we'll see what happens with the Lions listen Spencer we are we are out of time uh have time for fact this I just did want to say Clayton Kershaw did uh break the all-time strikeout record for the Dodgers yesterday in a loss to the Detroit Tigers seven strikeouts 2700 on his career Don Drysdale's held that record since 1979 there have been some really big time pitchers for the Los Angeles Dodgers including Sandy Koufax well Clayton Kershaw stands on top of all of them and he did it in like 136 or something fewer games than Don Drysdale did with his record you got to take that into account especially with all the specialists right now pitching you don't get as you don't get to go as deep in games as Drysdale did back in the 70s. A hell of an accomplishment for Clayton Kershaw. Uh, he did, does have his ring, even though it was in the COVID-shortened season. Um, one of the greatest strikeout artists of all time. And you got to give that to Clayton Kershaw, the face of the Dodgers franchise for a while until they picked up Mookie Betts. And uh, I give Clayton Kershaw all the credit in the world. Uh, again, the Aces start today. They've got a scrimmage game on the road. They